Hey Hitchhikers, welcome back to Hitchhiker's Guide to Hyrule, your one-stop guide to all things lore, history, and gameplay with the Legend of Zelda series. We're here to explore the mystical land of Hyrule and beyond. I'm your host, Tanner Short, and let's talk some Zelda. Alright, in today's episode, we're visited by my sister, Timmy Short. Hey guys, always a beautiful day to hitchhike through Hyrule. Today's episode is one that I'm pretty excited for. I've been thinking about it for a long time. It's basically the evolution of Link. And within that context, the evolution of the Legend of Zelda series since its inception in 1986. So, Timmy, I was sitting at my desk at work. I work for an engineering company. And it was early, earlier in the morning, so I was still getting going. My brain wasn't yet kicked into high gear, and so I was sitting there, and I was listening to the soundtrack of the original Zelda, The Legend of Zelda. And they've got that album artwork with Link, and he's got just the, the short sleeve green tunic and the shield with the cross on it, and he's yeah. just got the sword. Anyway, I was taking a good look at that and thought, man, it's just so... Interesting how Link's appearance shaped so many cultural perceptions of Link at that time. And it got me into this 30-minute conversation with myself about, well, how Link has changed over the years. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So to start, like I was saying, we've got the original Link, the original model of Link, who donned a very flattering short-sleeve green tunic. Oh, very flattering. In fact, I really think that the green sleeve and the short shorts should probably come back. I'm honestly shocked that it hasn't hit like Vogue yet because it was a choice. It was a look. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be a big hit. People walking down the street in short sleeves and halfway up the thigh shorts, just just flattering. And then he's got the traveler's boots to go with it. And it's funny to me because I was born after that time, but that that was Link to people. For a long time. So that appearance of Link shaped a lot of Zelda-themed culture around that era. And the one that comes to mind immediately is the 80s cartoon, The Legend of Zelda. Which is a classic (laughs) for us, right? Yeah, so I I didn't realize it was kind of an older show. Because the first time we ever watched it was back when Netflix did DVDs. So that tells you. Yeah, I think back to, yeah, that dates us a little bit. Yeah. Was when Netflix would send us a DVD in the mail. Yeah. Well, and even worse than that, I think Legend of Zelda was when they were rolling out this new service called Instant Play. It was this crazy thing where you could actually pull up a movie or a TV <laughs> show like on your computer and you just hit play and it's there. People might think I'm making this up. This was like new <laughs> and it was like cool. It was crazy. Yeah. Back to the old Netflix days. And that's how we spent our time was watching... The Legend of Zelda TV show. Yeah. And it's such a different Link from what you and I think of when we think of Link. But that seriously fit into who Link was at that time. He was just a kid. A quippy, immature, developing kid. And that's what he looked like in all of the first few games. So you've got the original Legend of Zelda. You've got the sequel, The Adventure of Link. You've got A Link to the Past and Link's Awakening. And all the artwork for those shows, I mean, those video games, have that, I guess, rendering of Link. And the other interesting thing I realized is that you only have four games that The Legend of Zelda actually created. The four that I just mentioned. Those were the only four Zelda games in a 12-year period before Ocarina of Time. And after that, we'll get into that a little bit deeper. But after that year, 1998, when Ocarina of Time was released... 
you saw this rapid development of Zelda games. Stark contrast from the first 12 years. And so I thought that was interesting. But let's let's talk about that turning point, Ocarina of Time, and what that meant for the appearance of Link. Well, for the longest time, my only experience with The Legend of Zelda was Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask, so I just thought that that was how Link looked, was he was either young Link or he was adult Link, and that was his look. So I remember realizing that maybe there were other ways that Link was supposed to look when we first saw the Netflix, well, it wasn't Netflix series, the Legend of Zelda TV series, and we got it on Netflix. But I remember watching that, and I kind of hated it at first. To be fair, it's not a great show. It's more funny than it is good. But I hated it because I thought Link looked weird, and I thought Zelda looked weird. Then going back to the old games, I realized, well, that's what Link looked like originally in the 80s when Legend of Zelda first came out. So Link is definitely, you know, he's always had the green tunic. That's always been a staple. But there's definitely been some changes in his aesthetic, for lack of a better word. It's gotten a little bit more mature and maybe even a little bit more modern over time. I just remember that Ocarina of Time, that's really where I was introduced to Zelda. And I think that's true for a lot of people. Yeah, depending on what generation of people you talk to, I think one of the largest are people that are our age that were introduced to the Zelda series by Ocarina of Time because it was such an earth-shattering game at the time. I mean, the engine that it ran with the 3D graphics were just so well put together. It was so powerful. It was realistic. And it was kind of the first real 3D immersive game for a lot of people. Not just as a Zelda game, but just as a video game. Yeah, and. I think because of that, it attracted a lot of people. I mean, it attracted Dad, for one thing. I mean, that was that was kind of, as like we talked about in the last episode, that was what drew him to the game in the first place, was just that people were raving about this game. Even today, people look at Ocarina of Time, and to them, that is the best game ever made. I mean, it's like 100% and critical acclaim. I mean, it's just an amazing game. Interestingly enough, though, if you go back a generation, that is actually what A Link to the Past was for those people. I actually had a professor at school, and he I, I think I put on a bio that I loved Legend of Zelda, that that was kind of my second life, and, and he reached out to me and said, oh, that's super cool, I, I love Zelda. A Link to the Past was my game, and I thought, oh, that's so funny. A Link to the Past was just something that I played on the Game Boy Advance with Four Swords. You know, it was just kind yeah. of another game. Yeah, right. But to this generation of people just older than us, that was like their ocarina of time. And I think that's where this cultural absorption of the the original Link came from. If not the original, then a Link to the Past. But now you have Ocarina of Time. You've got 3D. And you've got this just, I don't know, beautiful Link rendered yeah. <laughs> in a 3D world. I mean, man, even to this day, I still think that's one of the best Link looks that oh, Link has sure. ever had as far. But you also had Adult Link, this this new stage in Link's development. Now you have Man Link. You know, he's an adult. He's not this immature kid anymore. He actually grows up and you see this this heroic, legendary, mature character. And I think that was an advent for the next phase of Zelda games where you had this more mature, adult, heroic Link going forward. Yeah. Because you look at Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild, where Link actually is an adult, or at least older. Pretty close. But even in the games like Wind Waker, Majora's Mask, you have a younger Link, but he carries this this persona 
of being older, being more mature. Yeah. You know, you've kind of left behind that immature... I don't know how to describe the original Link, but you kind of leave that behind. Yeah, well, I, I think o- Ocarina of Time even introduced just more development in each Link. Just because every time I go back and play the old games, and A Link to the Past is a great game. Like, I love that game. But yeah, it, it, it feels like you step in and Link is already established as a hero in most of the older games. But you come yeah. in a grain of time and you see that development. And not only that, I think something else that was really compelling about it was you saw more development in other characters. And it just had an incredible story because they could flesh it out a little bit more with 3D and they could flesh out the characters. And so I think Ocarina of Time was also the advent of maybe a little bit more storytelling. What was amazing about Zelda from the get-go, from its very beginning, was that it was storytelling and it was choose your own adventure. But I think Ocarina of Time really allowed them to be able to develop that vision and make it a reality, if that makes sense. You could really... Link was just more fleshed out than he'd ever been before. And I think that's what really draws me to Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I agree with that. Link becomes the the people's hero. Yeah. Because you're starting to get to know these characters. You you save Dipona from Ingo, and in a way he's almost saving Malon from Ingo. And then you're meeting the guard behind the shops after Gandorf is invaded. And it's emotional, or and, and then all these people you meet in Castletown that are refugees in Kakariko Village. You start to connect with these characters, and Link becomes the people's hero, not just the hero of Hyrule like in the older games. Right. Although I have to say, Link's Awakening does tap into that more originally than even Ocarina of Time, and I think the the disadvantage to Link's Awakening was is it it was a handheld game, which growing up didn't. Like, didn't go out of my way to play those. Right. But as soon as it came out on the Switch, I finally went back and played it and just realized, man, this is also it's a fabulous story. Yeah. But it, I think you're right. The storytelling really took off in Ocarina of Time. Just the way that the story unfold was sure. was unlike any of the previous games. And, and it shaped the next era, which I kind of squeaked in an extra year because I have Legend of Zelda's timeline split up into three... 12-year periods, but this one's 13, because this is basically Ocarina of Time right up to Skyward Sword. You see this adult Link, mature Link. But the other interesting thing about this 12-year period is just how many games came out in 13 years. So like I I said, in the the first 12 years, you had four. You had the original, The Adventure of Link, uh, Link to the Past, Link's Awakening. Okay, 98 to 2011. I guess if you do count Skyward Sword, you have 11 games. Totally night and day difference, almost triple. Because, yeah, you have Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, The Wind Waker, and then in between those games, you have these handheld games, the two Oracle games, the Minish Cap, and then Four Swords Adventures. Now the Wii comes out, and you've got Twilight Princess, and then you've got the two DS games, Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, and then you get Skyward Sword. So it's just this acceleration of production into these Zelda games because all of a sudden they're, they're so popular, they've drawn in so many people, and there's so many places that they can go. And I mean, if you if if I think back to those 12 years, which were essentially the first 12 years of my life, yeah, I mean, that, that was an exciting time to be in on Zelda because like we kind of shared in the last episode, 
there was this maturing ourselves where at first it's dad playing the games we're, we're playing the games through him and then there's this transition and now we're playing the games well it was also kind of this culture in in the fandom where people are starting to really dig into the lore i mean mm-hmm. i remember all these youtubers getting into the timeline theory and there's so many timeline theories about how are these games connected because unlike the first era with the first four games that are just other than the first two, they're completely different. They're just totally separate. And Link's Awakening isn't even in Hyrule. It's in a totally different right. place. Well, now you've got so many new games that, and so many sequels too. Majora's Mask, Spirit Tracks, and Phantom Hourglass, and even Wind Waker directly tying into previous games that we're all excited about this idea that they're all connected. That's kind of this 12-year period. And then it ends almost poetically with Skyward Sword, where you've got 25th anniversary of Zelda... You've got Ocarina of Time coming back in 3D, and then Skyward Sword releases, and you have Hyrule Historia, the concrete oh, timeline, yeah. other than the edits that, they, that they've made since. But I mean, 2011 was seriously like another pivot point in the lifetime of Zelda. Yeah. But those 12 years between Ocarina of Time and Skyward Sword were truly, I think, what shaped, in a, in a big way, shaped the culture of, of Zelda. And I think a big reason that the franchise was as popular as it was during those 12 years was because they were able to successfully put their games into 3D. And so I think that helped a lot of people to gain the vision that Shigeru Miyamoto had from the beginning of seeing some place that you wanted to explore and going and exploring that. Not only did it bring in a different kind of gamer, um, it also obviously introduced a whole new generation of gamers to the game. And so... As popular as Zelda was back in the day with the NES, Ocarina of Time being an incredibly successful 3D game and being something that was really fun for old fans to play and young fans to watch kind of brought two generations of Zelda fans together and led them both into this whole new era of Zelda where the games were more engaging because it was 3D, so it was like watching a movie and playing the game, which was really cool. And so I think with Ocarina of Time, Zelda became even more mainstream than it had been before. And now you have two generations of people playing through the Zelda games. And so Nintendo finally had this success They'd be able to start kind of churning out Zelda games, and they'd be well-received by everybody. They had lots of hype every time. They had their E3s and stuff. And I remember every time a Zelda game came out, we were really excited about it. Yeah, and I, I think you could definitely say, at least in our lives, that it it was the golden age for us. Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting about this period of time between Ocarina of Time and Skyward Sword is how the handheld game's image of Link also changes because, like I mentioned, there were the first four games where that original character model of Link is in every single one, like the concept art, everything. Well, in the, it, during this period, you have these handheld games like Oracle Seasons and or well yeah so there was yeah actually that's exactly where I was going to because you had Oracles that had the original Link still because it was a Link to the Past Link right but yeah yeah jump to Four Swords and Minish Cap all of a sudden the character model is Toon Link from Wind Waker and he is like the face of of Four Swords Minish Cap Four Swords Adventures and his sequels Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks and so you already have five games where this character model has literally been used as the face of Link. Mm-hmm. You've se- like almost 100% phased out the original character model of Link right. for Toon Link. 
yeah, you kind of have either side. You either got Toon Link, who's a child, or you have Twilight Princess, who's full-blown adult. Yeah. Which was nice. Like, right. it was nice to get that blend to have the much lighter games and then to delve into, like, Twilight Princess, which had a much darker feel. Yeah, and through it all, it was still kind of a transition away from the original Link, because even in the childish Four Swords games, where you start to see more of these, these gimmicky, almost like... Uh, comical links mm-hmm. like throwing each other yeah. throwing bombs at each, you know, just whatever <laughs> kind of comical nonsense that inspired such just amazing works of youtube like four swords at camp uh, yeah. if anyone has never seen that video you need to check it out on youtube yeah. because it will change your life and just thinking about that makes me remember all these other random zelda videos that we watched when we were like 10 or 11 so i hope that if you do look up that video that you can get sucked down the rabbit hole of other weird and random Zelda comedy videos. Seriously. It kind of shows the culture shift, and particularly with Four Swords, even though you're going back to comical, a little bit childish, it's not really immature, so to speak, other than they're just children, which is understandable. There's still a stark difference between that kind of a young Link versus what we saw in the 80s cartoon. (laughs) Right. That shift is interesting, to me, to, to say, okay, well, here, here, what are the differences between the cartoon and, and these this new image of, of young Link? Well, when I look at it, I kind of see, you know, he's still kind of having these adult qualities to him. It's like he mm-hmm. has fun when, he, when it's time to have fun. You know, when you and your buddies want to do multiplayer against each other, then it's bombs and swords and arrows at each other. But when you're going through the adventure, the quest of Four Swords Adventures... It's this almost higher sense of your role as a hero. Yeah. That's kind of mature. Yeah. Well, and and I think, like, having a, a younger Link even brings it home more, just how much weight the hero's got on his shoulder, because Wind Waker Link is, what, 12? Yeah, And, like, so you see like these that. stark contrasts, like, he's a goofy kid sometimes, and then other times you see him square up against Ganondorf, and you're like, this kid is 12. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it brings it home a little bit more, just how much responsibility is placed on him and, like, makes the journey feel a little bit weightier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and he has to grow up quicker. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I, I love that that just reminded me of the, the part in Wind Waker when he gets the clothes. He's not even really excited to get him. He gets the green tunic yeah. and he looks like, Ugh. I just want to hang out here. Like, I, I just want to live my life. I, that was actually always kind of powerful to me as a kid. I was like, this Link is an unwilling hero. And that actually made him really cool to me. Yeah, yeah, that kind of character development that it was hard to create in the original games. Yeah. And it carried forward of what you were saying, reminded me exactly of Skyward Sword, where Link is totally content in the clouds. He has no desire to even go to the surface. Like, that's Zelda. She's the one who wants to venture out, and he's like, I'm I'm good here. Unwilling hero until Zelda's in danger. Right. So it was an interesting shift even for the toon link the young link side not just the adult link shift yeah but then now you're a two now you're in 2011 and you've got skyward swords come out at the end of the year and now you're saying okay looking ahead what is zelda going to be you see shigeru mimoto kind of backing off a little bit letting eiji onuma take the reins more and so there's kind of now okay we've really hit a stride we've seen great success was the next 12 years going to be? And of course, everybody thinks Breath of the Wild, which seriously could have almost been a pivot point itself, you know, 2017. Oh, yeah. But it, it really does 
characterize this 12 years post-2011 as saying, okay, now we're going to open up the world of Hyrule because now we've got the power with the Switch and now we've got the vision with saying, hey, let's try non-linear and just have open world. And you've got the fan base that wants something new. They're, they're, they're ready to try something like Breath of the Wild. You can see it because it was so well received by existing fans and by the new fans that it drew in. Right. So it's almost like a focal point in and of itself. But the reason I like to, to still umbrella it in these 12 years is because post Skyward Sword, you had kind of these almost like legacy homage type games because the first one to come out is a link between worlds on the 3ds which was an homage to a link to the past kind of bringing that game back out of the past and almost rebooting it but giving it a new flavor a new story but then directly you had ocarina of time in 3d in 2011 and then you had majora's mask 3d that came out a few years later you had wind waker hd and twilight princess hd and so it was kind of this time too where now we're gonna nod to the previous success, and we're gonna we're gonna make that available, and that was really impactful on Zelda fans because I don't think Bella and Maddie, our sisters, would have gotten into the games if it weren't for those HD remakes. Yeah, I know. Because they play oh, the first game they ever beat was Wind Waker HD on yep. the Wii U, so it wasn't the GameCube version. So they the, those games played a pivotal role too, and and then you have Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Well, and I think, just kind of going along with what you were saying, that the period that started after Skyward Sword, beyond being like a, a legacy period where Nintendo was really capitalizing on the fact that they had built this successful game, but they were also turning around and making it more accessible because Ocarina of Time was big for its time because people who didn't like video games because it didn't feel real Ocarina of Time now felt real. But yeah, now now they're bringing all these old games back and making them HD, and I think that led really nicely into Breath of the Wild. Because like you were saying, the reason it was so successful was because it was really accessible and really easy for other people, but it also leans really heavily into the legacy of Link. When you finish the shrines, you get the, the Tunic of the Wild, and you have Goron City, you have the carvings of old Goron, so you have the nod to Lon Lon Ranch, and so that's what was super successful about Breath of the Wild, and I think whether or not this was their plan, all those games leading into that really just prepared the way for Breath of the Wild, you know, like brought new fans into the Zelda games, and then just solidified it with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that is a really good point. I think what you were saying about how Breath of the Wild is also the ultimate nod to Zelda's past. Yeah, because yeah. it, it pulls in from every timeline of Hyrule Historia where it, you know, it is like the ultimate legacy game. And, yeah. and yet, at the same time, it's also paving the way into the future. It's it's an interesting time period in, in Nintendo, or in Legend of Zelda specifically. But where does that leave Link? Because we've talked about, we've got the original Link, the boy the Wanderer, and then now we've got this this focal point with Ocarina of Time, and now we've got the hero, the the mature, the adult. So who is Link in this era? I mean, obviously, we're kind of just stepping into the quote-unquote new era of Legend of Zelda because it will more officially start once we finally get to see Breath of the Wild 2. But just from this Link that we already know from Breath of the Wild 1, 
What I really like about it so far is that it continues to humanize Link. So we've talked about how the older Zelda games, you didn't really dive as much into who Link was as a person. Kind of felt like he was just the hero and you went and defeated Ganon or Gan or, you know, whoever the villain was in that game. And then you kind of step into Ocarina of Time and you see him as a child. And then Twilight Princess shows him in his village with his friends. Wind Waker, he's the unwilling hero. Same with Skyward Sword. What I like about Breath of the Wild, and theoretically Breath of the Wild 2, is that we're kind of back to where Link starts as the hero, but he's like a fallen hero because he failed. Calamity Ganon won. He took the princess. The kingdom's in ruins. It's just rebuilding itself back. And he has to go back and essentially, I don't want to say clean up the mess he made because there's not really anything they could have done against Calamity Ganon, but it's you getting to see what happens when Link does fail, and then picking up the pieces and rebuilding Hyrule. And then along the way, I really like finding Link's memories, seeing him grow his friendship with Zelda, and seeing kind of his friendships, or not friendships, Rivali, <laughs> with all the champions and whoever else you have your memories with. And so I think in a very different way, we see another human side of Link where Link can fail. He doesn't win every time. And with the timeline shift, it almost introduces that because you have the fallen timeline, but you don't really see Link fall then. This is very different where you feel very poignantly that Link failed and Zelda failed. And now you have to go pick up the pieces and go find your friend. I hope that made sense. Like it just kind of furthers humanizing Link and adds a whole other aspect to him where it's like you don't know that he's going to succeed. And also just kind of that you you can build Link in whatever way you want to. So you start out with no clothes. So that makes you feel super vulnerable. And then you start out with nothing but branches against monsters. And it's kind of up to you to build Link in whatever image that you want. So I think that also brings him, again, more human and a little bit more personal because it feels more than ever like you're on the journey with Link 2 and that you really, really have to build up your strength before you can go fight anything. I think the word that characterizes it the most from what you said is you. Link is is you now. I really like that progression you gave. The first, he's, he's the knight. You know, he's still a boy, but he's just, he's the hero from the first second of the game to, okay, now he's he's a character. It's the hero's journey. He starts off comfortable, and then he gets pushed out into the uncomfortable and the and the fantastic, and becomes the hero. Okay, and now now he's just you. Yeah. And now it it is that that personal link with literally the link. Now he is <laughs> the link yeah. between you and Hyrule. That's good stuff. It's like he's transitioned into the true link, where now he is whatever you want him to be, and you are projecting yourself onto him into your version of how you are going to go hitchhike across Hyrule. Yeah. And I, I think I like that... like the tie in there. Oh, so I mean, seriously, <laughs> as you were saying that, the, the the wheels were clicking. I was like, I'm seeing now where this is, is going, and I'd like to see more of that, where Link is evolving to connect with each member of the fandom of the Zelda franchise so that we're all there in Hyrule, because that's what it's all about. That's where Shigeru Miyamoto wanted... The Legend of Zelda series to be from day one is this is exploring like Hyrule or Koholint or Termina or wherever you end up. That is your world for the time that you're playing the game. And Breath of the Wild has finally bridged that. Totally. And and so you have this this 12 year period, 2010 to now, 
where we've given you all the best games you can that you can soak them up, and now Breath of the Wild is yours, and go run with it. And now we've got another one that's coming down next year, and it'll be an inter- it, it'll be interesting to see where the, where the next twelve years take us. Yeah, and and to see more of us truly projecting ourselves into Hyrule in, into the games themselves. I think that's a a, a powerful timeline of powerful history that we've seen over the over the course of the legend of zelda series just really cool stuff you know we're talking about the evolution of link here but there are definitely some qualities that stay the same through all the games and i do like that no matter what link is always willing to go and help his friends even in the earlier games where he was kind of established as a hero he heroically went to go save the princess and then when you get to kind of the ocarina of time to skyward sword game and Breath of the Wild, too, for that matter. It's always him going to save his friends, or usually him going to save his friends. And so, I don't know, I like that in every game, whether he starts out heroic, doesn't want to be the hero, any of that, he's always willing to go help his friends or help whoever's in need. And so I think that's cool that at least that's always consistent with Link, and then he can change in pretty much any other way besides that. Absolutely. And I think he'll continue to do so, and, and he will continue to be the link to Hyrule uh, as we make our way hitchhiking across Hyrule and beyond. Thank you, Timmy, for joining as always. Yeah, And thank for you, me. of course, thank you, hitchhikers, for joining us on our next episode. I'll be jumping in with Tyson, our cousin like a brother. We'll be talking about Ocarina of Time and the focal point that it was in Legend of Zelda history, as well as the impact that it made on us individually. Once again, we thank you for joining us, and please feel free and help yourself to our YouTube channel. There's all kinds of content from our other shows and lots more coming down the pipeline. We promise you that. So until next time, I'm your host, Tanner Short. And we'll see you next time. Bye.